So today we're all recording from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We would like to pay our respect to Elders past and present. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. This episode of The Significant Others is supported by Mimco, the unique and conscious accessories brand that's committed to empowering all women and harnessing creativity to work towards a more sustainable future. We thank Mimco for sponsoring this episode, but even more importantly, for their ongoing support of Our Watch. I've always tried to be someone who doesn't just endorse things for the sake of it, but instead because I live and all love it. This week, we welcome to the mic Jordan Ablett, she joins us to talk about her role as an ambassador for the Royal Children's Hospital Good Friday Appeal, a charity that is very close to her heart because of the ongoing care her son Levi receives from their amazing team. She shares with us the importance of family, the hardships she faced in 2020 from the diagnosis Levi received to the heartbreaking loss of her mum, and how football in the grand scheme of things is anything but significant. We would like to inform listeners that this episode contains some discussions of difficult topics, including palliative care, death and grief, and infant illness. Tell us a little bit about how you grew up and your family and what it was like for you. So I grew up on the Mornington Peninsula with my two sisters and mum and dad. We had a really great childhood. Um, We were a very close family. We still are. I was fortunate enough to live in the same house for my entire childhood, which was the house that my dad built actually 37 years ago. I love that. Yes, that was very special. But we did actually say goodbye to that last year, which was difficult and still very much something that pulls at the heartstrings when I think about it. But yeah, I had a really great childhood. My parents divorced probably when I was about 17 which was hard as it always is but in saying that they were really amazing at expressing their love for us three girls and just you know reminding us that their relationship ending wasn't a reflection of us in any way or their love for us. Obviously family is a really strong point in your life. Can you tell us I guess about how your sisters shaped who you are? Yeah my sisters are literally my best friends like I can't anyone who knows me and us girls they just know us as the three besties really. You know mum was a, a massive part in that as well and yeah we've just grown up really closely together we've been through everything together everything that I go through you know my my sisters play a big part in you know walking that journey with me as I do with them and you know I can try and explain to you the kind of relationship that we have but it's just um, unless you've got a sister who you're close with I guess that's when you you know can fully understand just how our deep our love for each other is. Could you tell us a little bit about your schooling experience? Yeah, Yeah, and where you went from there? I went to Flinders Christian Community College, which is in Tyre on the Mornington Peninsula, which is about 20 minutes from where I grew up in Langwarren. I enjoyed high school. I completed VCE there and then afterwards I went straight into full-time work. I actually worked at a local um, chicken shop in hospitality as well as um, did some waitressing at at a cafe and then I also worked as a sales assistant 
at a retail shop at Chadston. So yeah, for the most part I worked and then I actually, a friend of mine had a young boy with autism. He was probably about 10 when I started. So my role basically was to spend a couple of hours a few nights a week after school and with him and this was just a matter of helping out a friend um, at the time and she really wanted to do as much as she could do for him in order to help him be able to you know, socially interact with his peers and things like that. And so a way of doing that was um, through just simply having someone come and sit with him for two hours and, and engage and play and teach him some things. That's literally what I did and I loved it. And then from that, I, after a f- probably five or six years, I officially said goodbye to that and went into the education system as an integration aide and youth worker. So I was working with students between year 7 and 12 with learning difficulties, which I really loved. So I also know that you were a youth leader. Could you share a bit about what that role was? So my mum was a woman of faith and she would go to church and we would go occasionally on Sundays. But it was more so about youth on a Friday night. That was the big thing. So from my year 7 to 12, I would attend on a Friday night. It literally just felt like a massive, awesome party. (laughs) But it was just like full of activities and just um, relationship building and having just a team of youth leaders. So I was the youth at at the time, but youth leaders, you know, get around you and support you through high school and mentor you. And, you know, I guess it's youth leaders play a massive part in people's lives who didn't necessarily have a great upbringing, didn't have someone that they could look up to. Just, yeah, be a part of investing in their lives and mentoring them and, yeah, hearing about their their home life, their school life and just assisting where I could. So it sounds like you have a really big passion for children and we can really see that that comes out in the ambassadorships that you've taken on. Can you tell us a little bit about those and... And also why it's important to you to do those? Yeah, so I have taken on a few ambassadorial roles. uh, One being recently that of um, the Good Friday Appeal this year, which is something that I feel very strongly about. I've always tried to be someone who doesn't just endorse things for the sake of it, but instead because I live and or love it. So in this instance with the with the Good Friday appeal, like I live this. Yes, I have a profile and I and I can give, you know, a lot to the cause. But in saying that in this role, I honestly just see myself as a mum with a child who requires care at the Royal Children's Hospital. So when they asked me to, to be involved, I felt like it was a bit of a no-brainer. Yeah, I think that the Royal Children's do just such an incredible job and it's a really, really special place. And, you know, I didn't ever really spend much time at the Royal Children's before having Levi so having been there so frequently over the last you know 24 months yeah I guess it's it's just I just feel like it's a real privilege to be involved with that. I'm also an ambassador for Guide Dogs Australia as well as our own charity which is a charity looking to find a 100% cure rate for childhood cancer and previously I've been a ambassador for the Babes Project. You mentioned your son, Levi. Did you want to tell us a little bit about him? So Levi is great. He's a very beautiful boy and he makes my heart very happy. So he turned two in January this year. He is honestly just a really beautiful soul. A lot of people that, you know, that either know Levi or have seen a photo of Levi, um, I feel like he has something about him that can just really leave 
you know, a mark on people's lives, which is a very special thing to have. But so anyway, so we had Levi back in 2019. Everything was great. And then he probably around six months, you know, just those typical milestones that you would typically expect to see in a child he wasn't really reaching those milestones he hated tummy time with a passion and I thought that was just because who would like tummy time what baby likes lots tummy of kids time. hate tummy time <laughs> yeah there's so many things like that along the yeah, way like oh, no. so I never thought anything of, of that and then to be honest with you like we just sort of kept presenting some things to the maternal health nurse and we kept you know, sharing some concerns and with the paediatrician and honestly, like we we just kept being told and I hear this so often with, you know, from other parents that have kids, you know, in this same boat as Levi, but just constantly saying that, you know, it's fine, babies develop in their own time and I understand that and I appreciate that, but also when you're a mum and when you're a dad, you know something's up. But it was actually my sister who probably made me for the very first time think, actually, could there be something up? So, you know, she just said, you know, would it be worth actually going to see, you know, the paediatrician and just saying these are the, the issues just in case, you know, there's some underlying issue here. And that was probably the first time I thought, oh my gosh, actually there could potentially be a problem. So, Um, We did that on numerous occasions and then finally, so he just turned one and I went and saw um, his maternal health nurse, a different lady this time, and she said to me, you know, you've waited long enough to see change and there's been no change, you know, so I would encourage you, you know, we need to get um, some early intervention here. I loved that she met me where I was, like I felt for the first time after probably six months from when we started noticing things, I finally felt like she, I had someone that was like, besides obviously Gary, I felt like I had someone that could be like, yeah, you know what, something is probably up and, you know, you know your son better than anyone else. Like I said, she just fully understood and she could see and she was putting a lot of confidence in what I was saying, you know, and taking my word for for what I was putting forward, you know, for the past however long and rather than it just being like, you know, you're being a little bit overreactive or, you know, you're reading into things, you know, just it was like, no, that's valid and now, you know, he's one. You know, there were still so many things that he couldn't do that he typically should be doing. I think for her it was actually a little bit shocking, like almost I got a bit of a sense that maybe it should have been picked up earlier but it, but it hadn't been. And that is a, a sad thing when I think about it because in hindsight, after knowing everything, I would have liked to have picked it up earlier. And you rely on professionals. You yeah. had that parent's intuition. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So then, so early intervention and then so that's when we met like NDIS, which is just a whole nother <laughs> world. So at that point, was that when you started engaging with different doctors or therapists or how did that progress? So we actually left the paediatrician that we originally were with and we actually we actually went and saw the club doctor. We just wanted to see whether or not that he, if he had knew of someone that could assist us and he actually got us in contact with um, a paediatrician in Geelong who honestly, he was just the, the guy that, Um, got the ball rolling and meanwhile on the side we've already contacted NDIS and then we've got a coordinator there who is now you know providing a physiotherapist a speech pathologist things like that so this kind of one moment just 
like when you think about throwing a stone into the ocean, it just had like this ripple effect and all of a sudden one door opening meant, you know, 10 other doors opened as well. But yeah, so we did that and we did all the necessary tests to figure out what was happening, which there was just so many of them um, and everything kept coming back, you know, fine, like all is well. But obviously all is not well, but there's nothing to prove that and so meanwhile Levi's getting all of his therapy but we're still looking for for the cause and then on in May of 2020 the neurologist called us and wanted us to come in because they were confident that they had found the problem and we sat with them at the time there was a team there and basically they just said that we're 99.9% sure that we know what it is but we can only confirm it with a blood test by looking for a specific level so yeah so that in itself was just a really hard meeting because I we basically got a diagnosis before that official confirmation but that diagnose like I remember going to that meeting being like we want a diagnosis, but we don't want a diagnosis. It was a weird place to be in because you obviously want to know what's going on, but you, you're almost a part of you. like, maybe there isn't anything going on, but, you know, there is, so you need a diagnosis. And we just wanted to make sure that we could offer, uh, like, care for Levi the best that we possibly could and how can you care the best that we, you know, that you can unless you know what the problem is and how to treat it. So, yeah, but I just remember sitting with Gaz in that meeting and, you know, when they said it, like, just absolutely breaking down, basically. Like, understanding that a lot was happening for me at that time. Mum was pretty sick at that point as well. So there was just, it just felt like all of a sudden it had just, like, you know, been building for so long and then this was the moment that it just came crashing down. And so... We went and took Levi into the pathology area and he got um, had his blood test and then they said that they'll call us the next morning to confirm. Anyway, so they did that and they confirmed um, his diagnosis and, you know, sure enough, we, well, I shouldn't speak on behalf of Gaz, but I Googled the <laughs> diagnosis and, you know, they actually said not to Google the not to Google it, but I did. And obviously they had provided us with all that same information anyway. But yeah, it was just really, really, really hard. It's one thing to, you know, receive a, a diagnosis, which just confirms that Levi has a rare and degenerative disease. However, it's another thing to understand that it is life-threatening and that's like a whole other ball game. And just a whole other situation in itself because that stuff you just can't prepare for. And, you know, there is a very short life expectancy, which is why I constantly say to people when they ask about Levi that we are literally just taking it day by day because, like, we have no idea, you know, what the future holds. And, yeah, we have no idea. So, yeah, so that's that. So then when receiving the diagnosis, then it, just you know his team just grew wider and wider and um, more people were involved and yeah he's just you know he's on daily medication he receives an injection every day Uh, he constantly has to go into the Royal Children's just to get his levels checked and just make sure you have certain specialists looking over certain parts of his body just to make sure that the treatment which by the way is not a cure it's just to prolong Mm -hmm. is you know not affecting any other parts of his body which can be a side effect and if that's the 
the way, uh, the case, then you have to either pull back or stop. So that in itself is something that we have to constantly think about. Yeah, so he has his like standing frame to help him do, you know, weight bearing and uh, making sure that his bones can develop properly considering he can't get himself into those positions and therefore the bones won't develop properly. He has speech pathology so he has a speech pathologist, he has a, a dietitian. he can't eat properly, so everything has to be pureed as he has low muscle tone and, and feeding difficulties. He has a physiotherapist, a neurologist, a kidney specialist, a OT, just a lot of people. So, which I want to make it very clear that we're very grateful for those people. You and Gary are doing an incredible job raising Levi. Like, there's just something about him that when you look at him and he smiles at you, it's like he just knows the secrets of the universe. Do you want to tell us about your decision to share that? Yeah, how did, how did you come to a decision together to share what you have about Levi and why? We actually made that decision. There were a few reasons, you know, why we decided to share it when we did and that was people – there were a lot of people that would like constantly talk to us as though like Levi was hitting those milestones, which is just a really awkward conversation to be in because mm. you just presume that kids are developing as they should, you know. So people would just say things like, you know, oh, Levi must be running around now or like just comments like that, mm. which are so fine to say, but when you're on like the receiving end and you know everything that's going on, it's like awkward. And especially because we don't know how to respond to that. We don't really feel like there's someone that needs to know what's going on, but we don't want to lie and be like, yeah, he's running around, like he's not running around. They were just getting more and more frequent because Levi was getting more and more, you know, it was getting older and older. So for those interactions, also just because everything that was happening with mum, you know, my f- and, and mum was a massive part of this as well, but she wanted to make sure that I would be fully supported, you know, and I guess by holding on to that and not sharing that, you know, how can people help, you know, if we refuse to allow people to help by being honest with them and letting them know what's up. So we thought about that. And the third reason being that we felt like, even though this isn't was not our intention, but we felt like by us not sharing it was like we were saying, Levi, don't be you, mm-hmm. you know, and that was never the case. And I would hate for any other parent to feel like they can't share with people their child circumstances and, and what they're going through out of fear that people might, you know, look at the child differently or, you know, so we wanted to set the tone that, you know, Levi, you are you and we love you and everyone will love you because you're the best, you know. <laughs> and also Gaz is playing full-time footy and it's 2020 and he needed just as much support as I did like he's supporting me he's you know fully hurting for his own son and he's you know seeing his mother-in-law pass away and he's trying to play football and he's trying to learn about that was the week actually when we announced it was the week that the boys then moved into the hub so he was going with them and he wasn't sure how long he would stay and he thought it would be a good idea also to put that out there so that people had a bit of an understanding so that if he just decided to leave, I can guarantee you that unless they knew what what the reasons were, why is Gaz leaving the hub? You Absolutely. Know? So we just wanted to kind of – there were many reasons and we felt like there were a lot of pros for putting it out there. 
So you've, you've mentioned a little bit that you were going through all of this at a very difficult time. Can you tell us a little bit about that year and, and everything that you were feeling? 2020 was massive for everyone. You know, we all faced our challenges, our unique challenges, but specifically, you know, in our own family, you know, last year was just, like the thought of it just makes me feel a bit sick, to be honest with you. So it was just like one thing after another, after another, so the year started obviously with just COVID and then that took off and then in March, so mum had been previously diagnosed with cancer. She was diagnosed back in a couple of weeks before I gave birth, so probably you know late December of 2018 and she had done all the, the necessary um, treatment and things like that and she was cleared she was technically in remission so she had chemotherapy she had radical radiation she had immunotherapy but with the immunotherapy she had a reaction she's chronic asthmatic so one of the reaction side effects of the immunotherapy caused her to get pneumonitis um, which is inflammation of the lungs so when someone's a chronic asthmatic like that's really full-on so she basically just had to completely pull back from her treatment and then that was a wait and watch you know, scenario and she would get, you know, regular testing and, and nothing had popped up and things like that. So it was good. And then March of 2020, her breathing one night, she was in a lot of pain and she called my sister, um, I think it was about maybe two o'clock in the morning, saying like it was really hurting to breathe. And she got an ambulance to the hospital. And then it literally felt like from that hospital trip, it just went completely downhill. At that time, she um, had a, a collapsed lung. So she was essentially breathing with one lung. It's all a bit of a blur at the moment, but they did a lot of testing and then everything was sort of fine, but then all of a sudden it wasn't fine. And then she was being released under palliative care. So she came home, which she then lived literally from when she came home at my sister's house. And she stayed there right up until she passed away. That was like the house. So us three girls, we were literally, for those months from March until when she passed away in August, like we were her her girls and we were her, her nurses, like caring for her, giving her what she needed, you know, taking turns, night shift, day shift, things like that. I remember her coming home and getting a phone call from her GP, giving her the results of her CT scan and her MRI and things like that. And I remember her standing over the armchair, taking the phone call. And this is like a phone call that's either going to be great or it's going to be really crap, you know. And I was just watching her body language and, you know, she did a bit of a like, just a real, I saw just like her body language just completely deflate and she started to get upset and so I come and stood next to her and I put my arm around her and she obviously just felt too you know overwhelmed at that point so she went to walk away and so I took the phone call and anyway so the doctor explained that the cancer had then spread to her lungs her her back her liver and she had now two tumours, two or three tumours in her skull. So it had gone to the bone, which was obviously secondary, and there's just no further treatment for her. So, you know, and I said to the doctor, like, what does this mean? Like, just be you know, blunt with me, basically. And he said that it's devastating. So I went, 
I hung up and I went and sat with mum and she was just sitting in her chair. She was really, she was quite upset and, you know, in hindsight, I, I wish that I had of, you know, given her a hug, which I would have normally, but I think I was trying to show mum, like, no, everything will be okay. Like, it's not as bad as that. Like, yeah, you've got bad news, but you'll be fine. So I tried to be a bit strong in that moment, but, you know, looking back, I just wish that I had have said to her, you know, basically it sucks, you know, like, but with you in this, which I know she knew that, and she would hate me even thinking like that, you know. But, yeah, so then her, you know, time at my sister's house, it was hard but so special and we had so many, created so many beautiful family moments together and this was all happening during, like, lockdown as well, so... I just remember like having the road to myself from Torquay down to Langwarren and just like getting up really early and, you know, just driving and um, spending time with her and caring for her. And then, you know, it, it was hard over those months because meanwhile, Levi's Levi and there's all of that happening. And then, you know, just over time, she just obviously deteriorated because the cancer just continued to, you know, manifest in her, in her body and... Um, she got weaker, She had, her pain meds um, had to increase, you know, it was just a really, really sad, sad time, you know, but I'm so grateful that we got to care for mum at Kingsley's house, like the doctors say mum wouldn't have lasted as long if it wasn't for, for the care that we were giving her and I really do believe that, you know, we set up such a beautiful space for her, there was a piano in that room and my sister Nina, she's a piano player and mum just loved listening to Nina and we would you know just have music and she would be able to hear you know, her grandchildren around her and she was really a part of it right up until the end which is always you know been such a cornerstone of our family yeah like a lot was happening at that time as I mentioned Gaz you know coming back to to spend that time and we ended up moving so my dad doesn't live too far from Kingsley's house so we ended up basically relocating to there so that I could continue to help with Levi but also you know help with mum and then yeah she in August the pain was really bad and she couldn't she could no longer like properly eat for a while her appetite you know had decreased and you know her, her body and everything was just you know declining really quickly her health and she couldn't, you know, it was harder for her to swallow, you know, tablets and things like that. So for people that are listening that, you know, this is quite a sensitive, I don't want to be insensitive by just being so honest and that, but they encourage, you know, sorry, not encourage, but the only option at that point in, so that people don't choke, you know, when they're having their oral medication is to go to a syringe driver, which that always made us feel uncomfortable about, about that and that was really really difficult to because we knew that to get to that point it's it's bad and that she wouldn't have you know that much longer and you know I just think about the day that that happened like before she was getting it that afternoon and and that morning I had to race home to um for whatever reason and I had Levi with me and we had to catch the ferry and I was running a bit late and I went and saw mum to say goodbye and I just you know I didn't realize that that would be the last time 
I didn't realise the effects of the potential side effects of a syringe driver, that they can lose consciousness and I didn't know, we didn't know any of this. We were told that everything would be completely fine and, you know, it's no different to what she was having in an oral form but she's having in a liquid form now. So, yeah, just like saying goodbye to mum and I didn't realise that that would be the last time that I would look in, mum and I would look into each other's eyes and I feel a bit bad at the fact that, you know, I was in a rush because I don't get that time back. But I'm I'm glad that Levi and I did get to say goodbye and that we'll see you soon and things like that. And then she, that afternoon she had the syringe drive and then everything just kind of went really quickly downhill. She was just completely unconscious for three days. Um, we didn't get to have any of our engaging with her. We just sat in her room and, you know, we continued to do the things that um, we knew that she loved because they say that even though they can be unconscious, they can still hear. So we were, you know, reading messages to her. We were playing the piano. We were playing music. We had just the kids being silly and um, everything was normal from that point of view. And then on the 9th of August, um, you know, I was... My sister and I, Nina, um, we were sleeping in the room with mum and I had a mattress next to mum and I noticed mum's breathing had changed a little bit. Mind you, since March until now she's been on oxygen as well, so that whole time on oxygen. But I just noticed that her breathing had changed and it was like rather than being so loud, you know, it almost became a little bit slower and a bit more peaceful and normal. And I sat up and I looked at mum and I just had such a strong sense that mum was about to take her last breath. And I I just held her hand and I put my other hand on her chest and I just, you know, just kept saying to mum that I love you basically um, and that I was with her and she didn't need to be afraid and... Yeah, she literally, she just took her last breath and I and I honestly felt like I saw the moment that mum wasn't, was no longer with us and that was really, really hard but it was also, I feel like that's a really beautiful thing between a mother and a daughter to have, to have actually been able to witness that and I know that my mum did with her mum as well and I remember hearing that is so special in itself because I feel like I want to tell mum, mum, I got to, I was there for you like you were there for Nana. But yeah, like it was so, so hard. But yeah, I am, I feel grateful that I got to be the one to be with her in that moment. The fact that you and your sisters were able to provide that care for her is something so beautiful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I... Like, I can only share what I can share, but still, it's just such a tiny bit of insight into what those months look like. And I honestly just think, yeah, we feel really proud that we got to do that for mum, that we got to care for mum, and remembering that mum spent her entire life caring for us three girls and loving us and protecting us and wanting the best for us. So for us to be able to almost do that back to her, give that back to her in the way that we did. I know I know that mum would be so proud of us, you know, and she would 
there's no way, like mum wouldn't have wanted it any other way. Having us three girls around her when she took her final breath, you know, having her kids, you know, she never had to go into hospital after that initial time in March, which during COVID, like that's major anxiety. Thinking about mum potentially having to go into hospital, we wouldn't be able to visit her, we wouldn't be able to care for her she could get COVID, like so many things that could have possibly been, but we didn't have to think about or consider because it didn't happen. In the middle of that, your husband flies across to the other side of the country to play football. How much perspective does an experience like that give you on the world or your life? I honestly think that if that didn't actually happen, I probably would have been a bit like, guys, I can't believe that you have to sit out a part of your last season but because of what was happening I was like guys get on the first flight home like footy was just so so second and just so irrelevant I guess that having Gaz home was just the best like I wasn't thinking about him missing games in his final season Gaz certainly wasn't thinking about that Gaz wanted to be exactly where he was and you know as far as G was concerned we didn't know what what that those months were going to look like. So as far as he was concerned, he played his last game. You know, he wasn't trying to get back for a game or to have a, a farewell of any kind. Like, he was done. Unless there was an opportunity that presented itself, you know, then that so be it. But if not, then it is what it is. Did it feel like when that was announced to the world that everybody understood that? Absolutely. I don't think that there was any, well, not that I know of, like, I would be shocked if anyone wanted to, if I was them, I'd be quite scared if they wanted to come out and say (laughs) that that's not okay. Yeah, I think everyone, you know, responded really graciously and I, Gaz and myself and even, you know, our families and extended families, we were completely just overwhelmed with the level of support that people showed our family and, yeah, we, we were really grateful for the way people got around us. This is really personal information that you don't necessarily owe anybody to share. Yes, that community can be amazing, but they can also demand something of you that you don't necessarily want to share or have to share. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And I understand that there's like an appetite to know what's going on in, well, really should just be from a football point of view. But the thing that I've always really struggled with is... We know that mental health is so massive. We know that it's so common and so real. And yet, you don't know what someone's going through. You don't know what's happening behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. You know, specifically talking about football players, they cop a lot, you know. They do actually cop a lot, can cop a lot by certain, you know, media and things like that. Not all the time, but they can. And I'm just going purely off my own experience. But what... I guess I struggle with is it's not until someone is forced, like you're saying, Marty, Mm. to come out and put their hand up and publicly declare to the world, I suffer from mental health, that people go, oh, we'll back off now. Mm -hmm. But I agree, they should never be put in that position where they feel like they need to let people know what's going on behind closed doors in order to feel like they can get a break. You are listening to the Significant Others podcast. 
we obviously lived together through the back end of 2020, which was my absolute pleasure <laughs> to get to know you a lot better. Um, but do you want to maybe tell our listeners a little bit about the decision to quarantine and move up to Queensland for the second half of 2020? Yep. So it was sort of like the last opportunity. I don't know if you girls remember, you were already in the hub at that point, but the 1st of September was like the cutoff for anyone going up in relation to the AFL. That was the last flight. So it was really, really soon after mum passed away. Mum passed away on the 9th. Her funeral was on the 17th of August. And then we were essentially organising to go away and, you know, trying to Um, fast track some of Levi's equipment to make sure because at that point we didn't have his equipment but we knew that we could be away for a fair few months so therefore we want to make sure that we can you know maintain you know bone development and things like that so but yeah we decided to head up on the 1st of September we did the quarantining for the for the two weeks I loved being back on the Gold Coast you know and so did Gaz we love the GC very much it's still very much a part of you know home for us personally I felt like it was too soon I felt like stepping into that environment you know as you would both know um, just feeling like you constantly had to be on I can't be I feel like I've got to give people my time which is a good thing at the end of the day but it means that even if I'm hurting or even if I'm struggling with something or I don't have the energy or whatever I'm still going to do that so that was really quite exhausting and it also felt a little bit at times fake not as in it was coming from a fake place but as in it was just unnatural for how I was feeling but in saying that it was also from a Levi point of view from a us point of view to be able to almost pack up and go and have time out if you call quarantine and AFL time out but just to have our own space in terms of just the three of us and to kind of almost feel like just to be removed from Victoria basically like everything that had happened for us in Victoria we had been in stage four lockdown as well we had gone through all of that as well so so grateful and you know feel very privileged to have been able to go up to the Gold Coast at such a hard and devastating time back in Victoria but like seeing Levi you know, with so many children and just like every, all the kids just absolutely loving on him was just like the best thing ever. So yeah, so it had, it had its cons, it had its pros. Seeing Gaz in a grand final was something that I definitely didn't necessarily ever, you know, anticipate that I would see. And so that was really special. But yeah, I I did for the most part enjoy it. I did. And I felt like for the circumstances you know, what they were, I felt like the AFL did a pretty good job at accommodating. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you and Gary met? So we actually met through my now brother-in-law, Michael. So he is a part of the music industry so they had a couple of mutual friends spent some time together and then I know that when Michael would be touring in Queensland he would often catch up with G and then stay at Gaz's and stuff like that and then yeah just through their friendship we 
started our own friendship. <laughs> so you were doing long distance for a couple of years before you got married? Yeah, so I would work Monday to Friday and then basically jump on the flight, um, on a flight up and then spend the weekend, come back home on the Sunday evening, which I actually didn't really mind at all, you know, in Melbourne and then you get to kind of go to the Gold Coast warm weather for the weekend, which was <laughs> nice. Hester and I always ask about sacrifices or compromises that you then make for your partner. And so when you moved to the Gold Coast, when you did get married and you moved up there, I guess your career was one that you compromised to do that. What was that move like for you? I mean, you've said you loved the Gold Coast, but that initial move, how did that go? Yeah, initially it was really, really difficult, you know, packing up everything that was so familiar for so long. And I was never really one, like I'm such a homebody, so like to then be the one that is actually moving into state. Like out of us three girls, I'd be the last one doing that. But in saying that, because I'm so close with my family, that was really, really difficult. However, it ended up just being a pretty amazing experience. Like having our own space up there was really nice and we loved the idea of bringing our families up quite often and giving them a bit of a holiday experience and making our place be a place that they could come and like rest and recharge and then go back and yeah we loved where we lived we loved that it wasn't so footy 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 yeah we we enjoyed the privacy we enjoyed the weather and it was really good for our relationship yeah even looking back now like when you have lived you know, those years was going to end up and how she ended up. The fact that we got to get home a year earlier means that we got a year longer with mum. Obviously, Gary is an extremely successful person in his chosen field. Does that change how you view your own successes? No, I, I don't believe that. It has made me feel as though I need to do anything in order to match that success and... I also strongly believe that when Gaz is successful, I'm successful. And when I'm successful, G's successful. And that's because we are a team. We celebrate each other. We don't compete against one another. We don't, we're not intimidated by one another. I would probably look at the definition of success and probably try and define that from either, you know, is that a worldly success? Like what other people think is successful or is it a, you know, being a mum? Like is that in the same league as Gaz being an awesome footballer, like I'm pretty sure it is. I would say so, yeah. (laughs) Football has been part of your relationship the whole time and that's done. What's next for you and and what's next for the family? Yes, it has been a massive part of our relationship. I think it will always still be quite massive in terms of just like the legacy that's been left and, you know, Gaz giving almost 20 years of his time to it, like it – It's not something that you can just kind of forget about. But in terms of like immediately, it's so nice having Gaz available. Although he did, because he did his shoulder um, in the grand final, like things felt pretty normal in terms of rehab and, you know, building fitness up again and things like that, which was really just FYI. That shoulder injury was an absolute killer because all I was thinking is... Levi can't like sit independently, hold himself at all. So this is literally me. Your, your job now. For the next <laughs> few months, yeah. So, um, but yeah, in terms of this year, we're going to just continue to invest in Levi and invest in our family and enjoy the time that, you know, we, we get to 
spend together more often. I don't think there's any... We definitely don't feel like now that Gaz is retired, like he's got to jump straight into something. Just enjoy some time Projects, together. Yeah. And not have any limits on that. So true. Jordan, thank you so much for sharing with us and being so candid and honest and open about your life right up until today. Uh, we really appreciate your time and you. So would you like to leave our listeners, I guess, with a little bit of a call to action for the Good Friday Appeal that is on right now? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. Um, it was really nice to be able to chat with you both. And, you know, this isn't something that I would naturally do unless you're like my people obviously <laughs> my people but like from a wider point of view so yeah so thank you for the opportunity and hopefully um, there are people listening that will feel like they they can relate and just know that yeah if you are a parent of a child with a disability or if you have lost um, your mum that basically just to allow people to help you I think that's the biggest thing and yeah um, but yes the Good Friday appeal is on Good Friday the 2nd of April um, and yeah I would just um, really encourage people to give where they can no amount is too small I have seen firsthand the direct impact that um, people's generosity can make in the way that um, Levi and so many other children are cared for at the Royal Children's Hospital so yeah I think it's a, a really wonderful cause and it's something that I feel very strongly about and you can do that at the goodfridayfield.com.au thank you so much jordan thank you for your time and for joining us today you're welcome thank you thank you for listening to the significant others podcast if you have any suggestions of guests you'd like us to interview please let us know and come follow us on instagram at the significant others podcast 